0: Let's open our Bibles now and turn to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. Last week we looked at Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses, the man of God. This morning I'd like us to look at this Psalm. The title or heading of this Psalm simply reads, A Prayer of David. The name of David is associated with 75 of the 150 Psalms. We've already studied David's prayer of confession, Psalm 51, And uh, that was a prayer that taught us how to um, come to the Lord when we have sinned, when we have failed, and ask forgiveness to make things right with him. Psalm 86 is a prayer for protection and strength. The enemies that threaten you may be different than David's enemies, but they are very real, and God is still the same. And when you find yourself praying for protection and for strength, This prayer will be an encouragement for you as you rely on him. The same God who answered David's prayer stands ready to hear your prayer and to answer for you. We'll outline the prayer in three sections. First of all, verses one through seven, David's prayer for protection, and then verses eight through 14, David's praise to God. Remember, this is a psalm, and so not only is it a prayer, but it's he's praising God. And then last, verses 15 through 17, David's prayer for strength. So between the prayer for protection and the prayer for strength is this wonderful word of praise, the wonderful psalm that we'll look at this morning. First of all, David's prayer for protection, verses 1 to 7. Now again, we don't know the incidents that motivated this prayer. There were many in David's life. Uh, He was often in a place where he leaned to Uh, trust God as he faced enemies. I would think that as a young man, after slaying Goliath, everything else would be pretty small in comparison, but not so. Uh, He had to duck to avoid the enemies, uh, the, the spears, the javelin that Saul threw at him. He and his men had to hide in caves as they fled from Saul's armies, And he faced the heartbreak when his own son Absalom became his enemy. And so we don't know exactly when these were. We'll see different phrases throughout the psalm that indicate maybe this was when it was, but we don't know for sure. Verses 1 to 4, we find some requests for God to answer. The first request is for God to hear his prayer. Very simple. Verse 1, bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Word to bow there, is to bend or to incline. And so David is asking God to lean forward, to incline so that he hears what David has to say. That brings up some questions in my mind. Does God need to lean forward to hear what we say? Isaiah 59, verse 1, says that the Lord's ear is not heavy, that it cannot hear. Another question, does God know... uh, our requests before we word them. Matthew 6, 7, and 8, Jesus said, Your Father knoweth that you have need of what ye have need of before ye ask him. And so then someone will ask, well why do we even pray? Well we pray in Scripture because we're told to uh, the verse that we have on our bulletin in the front of the auditorium, Matthew 7, 7 we're told to to ask, to seek, to knock. Philippians 4 6 says be Careful or anxious for nothing, but by every, in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And because Christ gave us the example to pray is another reason that we should pray. He spent many nights in prayer alone with his Father, and I think because God delights when we come to Him in prayers is a reason. Uh, we saw in the comparison of earthly fathers to give to their children what they ask, the Heavenly Father gives also to us, Matthew seven eleven, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And just as our children come to us and ask for things, I think it pleases the Father when we come to him in petitioning and asking for help. I think also that when we go to God and say, incline your ear to me, that it gives us that sense that we're in his presence. And so that request is as good for us as it is for anyone else. We're entering into his presence. David explained why he wants God to hear his prayer. For I am poor and needy. He humbly admits that he is helpless without God's intervention in his life. I am poor the word means to be depressed in mind or in circumstances i am needy i'm destitute i'm lacking something that only you can provide and this is where prayers need to start we can't rely on our own strengths our own abilities we need to recognize that we're we're needy we're impoverished and because When we do, we're admitting that God is the only one who can help us, who can provide for that need. Let's not be like the Laodicean church. We haven't studied that on Sunday night yet. But they said, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, And, and Jesus says to them that they didn't even know that they were poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. So come to God in prayer, humbly realizing your extreme poverty, your extreme need, and his great wealth. Second request, preserve my soul. In verse 2, it begins, Preserve my soul, for I am holy. The word preserve there means to set up a hedge or, or to guard uh, something. Uh, many of you are thinking about gardening, especially with the grocery prices the way they are, and you see the sun coming out, and you say, well, the, the, the grass is going to, I'm going to clear that, I'm going to plant some things, and I, I do have some critters in the neighborhood that are going to get into that, and so you're thinking, what can I put around that? Some people say marigolds will keep bunnies away. I don't know, but some people put up fences, and uh, uh, we want to put a hedge around that to protect it. And here, David is saying, preserve my soul, put this hedge around my, my soul. Now, the word for soul is an interesting word. It has a broad meaning in the Old Testament word nephesh, and it can mean a person's spirit. That is something we generally think of when we think of the word soul. We think of the internal spiritual part of a man. But it can also refer to a life, the life of a person, that is his physical life. And in the context here, I believe we're talking about the protection that David is praying for, and so he's talking about his physical life. He's asking God to spare his life from enemies who are pursuing him with the intent of killing him. So set up that hedge around me, around my soul. And when David asked to spare his life, he said, preserve my soul, for I am holy. Can you say that when you come to God in prayer and ask for protection? And I say, well, what does that mean? Well, it could mean that I've been the holy, the word holy in the Old Testament means set apart. I've been set apart for God's special use that could mean that. Or I'm innocent of the things that the enemies are charging me of. It could mean that, or I've been made holy by your work. I've been cleansed by what God has done in my life and it's not any work of my own to come and say, Lord, you need to answer this prayer request because I'm, I'm a godly person. Well, if we say that, we're only godly because of what God has done in our hearts. And so maybe this is a case where it means all of these things. So living right gives us this boldness to ask God for protection. James 5 16, the second half of the verse, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's make sure that our hearts are right with the Lord by his grace, by his work in our hearts. So continue to come to God in prayer on the basis of that cleansing in your life. Preserve my soul. A third request, save thy servant. The second half of verse two, O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. The word save there means uh, to defend or rescue as well as to redeem someone for eternity. In sign language, the, uh, the deaf will use the word saved, it's bonds that are broken, and that can mean anything from, I was in a, a car accident the other day and I was saved. It means I was protected, my life, I was spared. But it can also mean saved and finished. I've trusted Christ as my savior. And so that's the, the idea between uh, behind the Hebrew word here, to save here, and I think again he's talking about that physical defense, that rescue. He identifies himself as God's servant. He does that again in verse 4. What's he saying? He said, My relationship with God is one of a servant, I am in obedience to him. So, why should God rescue David? The reason he gives is because he's trusting him, he's putting his trust in the only one who's able to protect him from his enemies. I like what D.L. Moody used to say. His favorite verse was Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. And he would say, if you trust that verse, you're, you're traveling first class. I will trust and not be afraid. He said, you can travel second class. The second class ticket is found in Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. So you can either trust God and not be afraid, or when you are afraid, trust in him. Come to God in prayer. Ask him to rescue you because you trust in him. Fourth request, verse 3, be merciful. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. In this request for mercy... David uses a word that shows someone bending or stooping over in kindness to help someone in need, to show favor to someone. He's asking for mercy on the basis of, of this this is my daily prayer. For I cry unto thee daily, or that can mean all the day. And we should be ready to pray at any time during the day. Often we do that. We get a phone call, a text, and all of a sudden we're praying about that. we're headed to the hospital, and our hearts are lifted up, and we're breathing out just this, this quick sentence of prayer to the Lord that we need to be ready to do that. Um, it's like the importunate friend in Luke eleven. remember the visitors are, are, are arrived late at night, and so he went to his neighbor middle of the midnight it says, and he asked for three loaves of bread and and that's This importunate prayer is is what we do. David was praying with this kind of, I think, of importunity as persistent urgency. It's continuing to ask, continuing to seek, continuing to knock until the Lord answers. And so he says, I cry unto thee all the day. Come to God in prayer, expecting his mercy to be granted because of your cries. The fifth request in verse 4, rejoice the soul of thy servant. Rejoice the soul of thy servant for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. The word soul there twice. Rejoice means to brighten, to cheer, to make glad. Don't you love being around people that you walk away from and, and you're smiling and you don't know why, but it's just that they've rejoiced you. And so David is praying, rejoice the soul of thy servant. The soul is the same word we saw before. Um, Either preserve my soul, physical life, or inner spiritual man. I think in this case, it's probably talking about the inner spirit. Rejoice me in my heart. David asked God to cheer his soul because he lifts it up to the Lord. The figure is that. Of a priest, perhaps, in the Old Testament who lifts up the offering. There was a wave offering that was lifted up for God to see it. And so, what is David lifting up? He's lifting up his own soul. This is my offering to you, Lord. I find that a surrendered soul is a joyful soul. You say, where's the joy in my life? Maybe you're not fully surrendered. So lift up your soul to him, and there will be joy There are certain plants that are known as heliotropes from the Greek word helios, which is the sun, and trophy, which means to turn. And these plants, usually their flowers are purple, will turn their leaves and their flowers toward the sun throughout the entire day. And at night, the plant will actually reset and adjust the leaves to face the sunrise, to face the east, preparing for that morning sun. Is that the way your soul looks to the Lord? Following him continuously, looking for him with anticipation. Do you find him the source of your strength and your joy? Lift up your heart to God in prayer. Let him be your joy. In verse 5, David mentions three attributes or characteristics of God that give him reason to believe that God will indeed answer this prayer. For thou, Lord art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. We might think of these three attributes as three hinges upon which the door of our access to God in prayer is opened. David says, you're good. And the goodness of God, just recognizing and knowing that draws us to pray to him. You're ready to forgive. He stands waiting to welcome you home through forgiveness of sin. He's he's got the door open. He wants you to come. He's ready to forgive. And He's plenteous in mercy that benevolent bending over kindness to show uh, love to those who are in need. It's available. The storehouses of God's mercy are overflowing. You will never run out of His mercy. Don't hesitate to pray. These kindnesses are shown to all who call upon God. Did you see that at the end of verse 5? Unto all them that call upon thee. Peter told the Gentile Cornelius in Acts 10, 34, and 35 that God is no respecter of persons, but every nation that that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Paul wrote, The same thing in Romans 2.11, there's no respecter of persons with God. Romans 10.12, he wrote, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And so the Lord is good, he's ready to forgive, he's plenteous in mercy to everyone who comes and calls on him. David repeats his desire for the Lord to hear his prayer in verses 6 and 7. He ends the first section of prayer for God's protection the way he started it. Verse 1, bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Now he says in verse 6, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, attend unto the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Did you notice the personal pronouns in these verses? My prayer, my supplications, my trouble, well, it's wonderful to know that God answers prayer, and you hear others testify to that fact, but he'll answer yours as well. You pray to him, and he will answer. It's the day of my trouble. The word trouble there it literally means a tight spot. We would say something that causes you anxiety, something that causes you stress, trouble, a tight spot, a place of adversity, In the day of trouble, I will call upon thee. The day refers to a specific time. There are those events that come into our lives that we're not ready for. And they cause us to have that tightness. You can feel it just in your chest. A tightness. And and God says, come to me in that time. In In my day of trouble, I will call upon thee. Know that God will answer your prayer in the time of trouble. That's David's prayer for protection. Now we come to verses 8 through 13. And it's as though David suddenly realizes where he is. He's in the presence of the one who's hearing his prayer. The Lord has answered. He's inclined his ear. He's there in his presence. God has given him a hearing. And so he, it's like he interrupts his prayer and just starts to praise God. He's worthy of praise because there are no other gods like him, verse 8. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. There's only one God. Now this reference to other gods here, it's the word Elohim, but it's in the small case. It's a small g in our Bibles, and there's a reason for that. This is not the true God. These are idols. And so this reference here uh, is a reference to the false gods who are worshipped as idols. This comparison between the true God and those idols does not mean that they are actually real, that they exist. It's a comparison to show that those false gods, those idols, are not gods at all. Look ahead at the, verse, at the end of verse 10. Thou alone art God. So there's none other like unto thee. These, these false idols that people worship are created by their own hands, are made out of metal and stone, and wood, they're lifeless. So there's, there's none like unto thee. There's no comparison. And people have set up gods in, in the history of mankind that they try to worship. There is none like Jehovah God. He alone is God. Neither are there any works like unto his works. Idols can't hear prayers. They can't do anything for people. The true God can. It's a similar comparison written by Moses in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, where he says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Small g. Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Aren't you glad your God is different than anything else that people worship? Isaiah 45, 18, we read, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it, not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. He's worthy of praise, because there are no other gods like him. He's worthy of praise in verse 9, because he has created all nations, all nations whom thou hast made, shall come and worship thee before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. One day all nations will come and worship and glorify his name. God is not just the God of the Israelites. He's made all nations. He's created all mankind. And everyone is a sinner. And Jesus died to save all who come to him in faith those who are redeemed out of the great tribulation are the all nations. I believe this is a future event he's talking about. We read about it in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After this I beheld, John is speaking, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations... And kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. All nations will bring glory to God. He's worthy of praise because he alone is God. Verse 10. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Three wonderful phrases in this verse. Thou art great, the word great, he is the highest, he is the strongest, the mightiest, he is the noblest. Thou art great, thou doest wondrous things. All that God does are marvelous works, wondrous works. And thou alone art God. Last week in Psalm 90 verse 2 we heard the praise of Moses before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise because he's David's Savior, verses 11 through 13. David, who's praying, has this desire to walk with God. Verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. He starts with this, when he recognizes who God is, he says, Lord, teach me your way. There are many paths that people are walking on today that are leading them nowhere. We need God's word. We want to hear hear what he has to say. Teach me thy way. And then he says, I will walk in thy truth. David already made the decision to walk in truth. Don't ask God to show you his way so that you can look at it and say, okay, let me decide if that's the way I want to go or not. No, say, Lord, I want to walk in your way. Show it to me. When David says, I will walk in thy truth, he's making a pledge or a promise. I think this is very crucial when we talk about prayer. Prayer. Don't think that you can come to God with a list of all your requests and say, well, God's all-powerful, I'm just going to ask him to do this, and and I can can live any way I want, but I'm going to ask God for these things in my life. Prayer is not demanding. Prayer is surrendering. You surrender to the will of God. And a full surrender includes what David's talking about here, obedience. I will walk in thy truth. Let's say that before we come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I will walk in your truth. Then he says, unite my heart to fear thy name. Unite here. It could be two different things, and I've read the different men who say one or the other. He could be saying, join my will to yours. That is, unite my heart, my will with yours, O Lord. Or he could be saying, unite my heart because it's divided. It's torn apart. Sometimes I want to do this and sometimes I don't. And and I'm, I'm, I'm just always in turmoil over what I should do and what I don't do. So it could be that. But either way, this united of heart will be this decision to follow God's will and not my own. David had a longing to praise God, verses 12 and 13. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore, for great is thy mercy toward me. And thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. He wanted to praise God entirely, with my whole heart. Nothing held back. I want to live my life in praise to God with everything that I have. He wanted to praise God not only entirely, but eternally, forevermore. Do you realize there are a lot of things that we do in this life that we won't be doing in heaven? I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about, you know, we we give out gospel tracts. We pray for people to be saved. We invite them to church. We won't be doing that in heaven. We ought to be doing it now. But there's one thing in heaven that we'll be doing that we, we can do now, and that's praising him. We'll be praising him for eternity. We need to get ready. Get get in good practice now. Know how to praise him with with your lips and with your life. There is a reason for praise. It was because God showed him mercy and delivered his soul from the lowest hell. Some people think David is talking here about God's forgiveness and his great sin. David knew that God was the one who had redeemed his soul from death. Last point of the psalm, David's prayer for strength, verses 14 through 17. Protection, praise, now strength. He asked for strength because of the opposition of his enemies. Verse 14, O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. This could be, some say, a reference to Absalom's rebellion, where he made his father his enemy. It could be uh, even about Saul's pursuits. These violent, and the word there, violent, could be uh, frightening men, had no regard for God. It says, they have not set thee before them. That is, they don't recognize God's presence. They act as if God is non-existent or that they're getting away with their kind of a lifestyle because God really doesn't care if he's there. Does that sound anything like today? Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Jesus told his disciples, and he quotes two Old Testament passages, they hated me without a cause. He said in Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He asked for strength because the enemies are real. David asked for strength because he knew what God is like in verse 15. And again, here here's some attributes of God. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. God is full of compassion. There's enough of his love for you. There's enough of his love for all the world. He's full of compassion. God is gracious. There's more than enough grace to meet your need. Grace is undeserved favor. His grace is all sufficient. We sing the words, His grace is amazing. God is gracious. God is long-suffering. That is, he, He extends His kindness. And as He does, He patiently waits for you to respond to Him. He's long suffering. Fourth, he's plenteous in mercy and truth. Mercy is that loyalty to his covenant promises. And truth is is a trustworthiness. He's plenteous in that. He keeps his word, he's never changing. These attributes are like the facets of a diamond when you hold that up to the sunlight. They appear together in Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, that's his long-suffering nature, and of great mercy. They come together often. This is who God is. And so David knows, I can ask for the strength that I need from him because of who he is. He's full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. He asks for strength so that his enemies would know who God is. This is a real interesting thing, because most of the time we want to be, we want to be defended. I was right all along, and you were wrong. <laughs> Here in verses 16 and 17, he's, he's asking for God to, to justify him so that they will see who God is, his enemies. O oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me, give, my, give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it, and be ashamed, because the Lord has holpen me and comforted me. Holpen is the old archaic word, of, uh, it's a participle, and the past tense, past participle, of help. Okay. What are the specifics of this request? Turn unto me literally the, the word has the idea of face in it turn your face toward me have mercy upon me show favor give strength to me I'm thy servant save me and he says the son of thy handmaiden it's a more intense way of showing that god owns him you think about it david you're the king he said no i'm i'm just a person that's born in a servant's home And that's the way he comes, still, through this prayer. The sign of David's request, his request, show me a token for good. Now again, this this token is not what some people think is is this miraculous sign. The sign or this token is deliverance. It's so the enemies would see who God is. The result that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed. The word ashamed there literally means to go pale. that The blood rushes from their face, and they, they're shocked, they're confused, they're surprised. He wanted proof of God's deliverance so that the enemies would see it was God who answered David's prayer. It was God who gave him strength and protection. David didn't want his enemies to fear him, He wanted them to fear God. He wanted God's protection and strength to cause them to see God as he knew God was. He is the one worthy of praise. He is the only one who can save. I hope when we go to our knees in prayer for protection of God's power, for the strength that he provides in our lives, it'll be... So that others will see that God is a God of compassion and mercy and grace that he's long suffering he's waiting for others to turn to him and find mercy and find salvation. What a prayer of David! May it be the pattern that we have in our lives when we need protection when we are don't when our strength is gone, he's still the same. He will answer our prayers and the The responsiveness, the the reason, the result of, of that whole scenario of God giving you strength for the problems that you have is for others to see how great God is, even your enemies. May that be the case as we pray. Let's look to the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for how David lived his life and poured out his heart to you in this prayer. And we're thankful most of all that you answered. You do provide, you are merciful, you are gracious. I pray that we would turn to you and that those who observe our lives will see the difficulties that we go through, the enemies that we face, and see that our God is great, greater than any trials that we have. And in seeing that, may they come to you and be saved. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.